way that way, I'd ask you to turn to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. General Electric Power Company. However you can best remember those four uh, epistles there together. That's what I learned to go eat popcorn. And uh, some other people have learned them other ways. Uh, and while you're making your way that way, uh, I do want to thank those, again, in our body who are creative and have an eye for beautiful things. As you can see behind me, um, some people have been at work again. And it is beautiful. Uh, thank you for all those who put their effort into this um, and make it look like this and also get bigger. we got bigger screens now. I think it's really bright in the room as well, and, and um, I think it, it, it makes the cross stand out because it's on a lighter background. Uh, so thank you all who've done that and produced your ideas. And I will say that I did go dump, dumpster, dump, dumpster diving the other day uh, for some materials. Um, uh, they did, made me go digging up for trash. I don't know how that works, but... Uh, so it was very inexpensive. We just used trash uh, to do this. I'm kidding. Uh, but thankful for that. And, and you know, it is, not, it is nice to have some nice aesthetic things around you, especially when you have me standing up in front, right? It helps from behind. I'm kidding. Um, but uh, thank you for those who use their gifts in this way and many other ways. Uh, speaking of that, we are in this great um, little epistle called Philippians uh, now, and we are... Uh, going to be studying through this. will be our second message in this, and kind of the subtitle of the, of the book of Philippians is Finding Joy in Christ Alone. And uh, the title of the message this morning is Christ-Exalting Prayer. Christ-Exalting Prayer, part one. So what's that mean? Next week we get Christ-Exalting Prayer, part two. Perfect. So what that means is your pastor, when he begins to study these things, he looks at the outline and kind of looks at the section of Scripture, he begins to, to prepare, and, and I'm still talking to third person, but I begin to prepare, and I just see that there's a lot more there than I thought, and I know that you don't want to stay here till 1 o'clock, um, so uh, I've just divided it in a couple different sections, um, but still have the same theme as Christ-exalting prayer. And again, this morning, I want to begin by reading the first 11 verses. We won't get through all 11 verses. We're going to be doing three through um, eight this morning, but we'll read this just so we get it in context. Again, get the feel of what Paul is writing to this uh, church in Philippi, which he founded in Acts 16. We saw that last week, and amazing things happened. He also visited them two other times uh, on his missionary journeys and has a great love for these people. So when he's writing this letter, think about that. Think about the love that he has for these people. And you'll see it in these first 11 verses just incredibly. So follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus. Two, all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it's only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for all, for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, 
that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to come this morning to worship you, to worship you through song, through prayer, through the preaching of your word, through spending time together. And, Lord, we come again to this letter that Paul wrote to this church that he loved so much. And we're reminded of the way that you love us as we read these words. And, Lord, I pray this morning that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would minister to each one of us because of your great love with which you loved us and your Son. Minister to each one of us where we need it most. Lord, some of us here this morning need encouragement. Lord, some of us need a challenge. Lord, some of us need a kick in the rear to get us going, to move us. But Lord, all of us need to be, more, be conformed more and more in image of your son in some way. So Lord, we ask you to do what only you can do, and that's change us through your word from the inside out so that you might be glory, glorified. So as Paul writes here at the end of his uh, first section here, to the glory and praise of God. Lord, that's our hope this morning, that you would be glorified, you would be praised. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, recently I've been reading a book about a guy named George Mueller. Anybody ever heard of George Mueller? All right, well, if you hadn't, let me encourage you to read up on George Mueller. Read some things that he wrote, read some things about him. He was born in 1805 in Germany, uh, but moved to England in 1829, specifically to a place called Bristol, England, in 1832. And he began pastoring a church there in Bristol, and he's mostly well-known for his work with orphan houses. Incredible what he did with orphan houses there in Bristol. Uh, he eventually built a complex of five orphan houses that housed over 2,000 orphans in the 1800s in England. Incredible. And for each one, he never went into debt. But only prayed that the Lord provide the funds. He did this not only with that, but he also did it with his personal life. When he first went there and began pastoring this church, he, he took a, a small salary, a few pounds, basically a week. But after a short time, he decided no longer to take a salary, but just to trust the Lord with his needs. Now, I'm not encouraging you all to, to challenge my trust. Okay, I'm kidding. Um, but that's what he did. It was it's just incredible. And the Lord miraculously provided for his personal needs and miraculously provided for the orphan houses, not to mention all the other schools in England that were teaching people how to read and about the word of God. He had a whole other ministry of training people up throughout England and, and all these funds were coming in. He was trusting the Lord complete, completely. Uh, um, in fact, he never, ever asked anyone for help, ever. He never asked anyone. He never shared any needs that the orphans might have or he might have or the other work of the church has never shared any of the needs. He completely shared his needs with God, and that was it. Well, well one documented... Um, occasion the children in one of the orphan houses were sitting down and giving thanks for breakfast and yet as they sat there hundreds of orphans in this one particular orphan house 
as they sat there and they gave thanks for God's provision of breakfast, there was no breakfast on the table. What? Yeah, they gave thanks for the breakfast that wasn't even in front of them. And then within minutes, the baker shows up with enough fresh bread for all the children. And a little bit later, the milkman shows up and his cart had broken down. So all the milk would have spoiled if he didn't, they, they didn't give it away right then. And guess where his cart broke down? Right in front of this orphan house where all these orphans had nothing. And that's not coincidence. It's called God incidents. Amazing what God did there as he trusted, as they learned to trust and he taught these kids. Once, while crossing the Atlantic on uh, a particular ship called the SS Sardinian in uh, the August of 1877, the ship ran into a thick fog. And he explained to the captain that he needed to be in Quebec, Canada by, by that following afternoon. And he had never, ever missed an appointment, was never late. And the captain said, well, sir, I'm, we're going to have to slow the ship down just for safety. The fog, fog's too thick. You're going to be late. He says, no, I'm not. Where's your quarters? Where's the captain's quarters, the chart room, so that I might pray for the lifting of the fog? So the captain said, well, okay, it's right down this way. And he went with him. And, the, and, and he said, this is going to be a waste of time to George Mueller. He says, no, it won't. Let's watch. So Mueller prayed. And then the captain began to pray. And Mueller stopped him, partly because of the captain's unbelief, but mainly because he believed the prayer had already been answered. And as they ascended from the depths of the ship, guess what? No fog. And Mueller made his appointment on time. We could go on and on about George Mueller, and I encourage you to read a particular book I'm reading right now called Delighted in God. And, uh, but as you do that, understand that you will be convicted of your own prayer life and convicted of your own lack of faith because that's what it's been like for me the last few weeks if I've picked this book up and read section after section after section as this man trusted God completely and cried out to God in prayer and watched God do things that can only be explained by God. Now, I would say most Christians would say that they're not satisfied with their prayer life. If, we, if I said, who's not satisfied with prayer life? I'm not going to have you raise your hand. My guess is that almost every honest person here would probably raise their hand. They're not satisfied with their prayer life. I'd raise mine. I'd be the first one. Yet it's one of the greatest and most powerful gifts that God has given us, to pray, to cry out to the God of heaven and earth. It's also most likely the most neglected of God's good gifts to us. It's like this beautiful gift that someone gives us, and we talk about how beautiful it is and how wonderful it is. And we, we never use it for what it's meant to be used for. We just talk about it. And you think, well, that's not me, Pastor. I pray a lot. Well, that's good. I'm glad you do. But for me, I need to hear this. I need to be challenged in my life of prayer. You see, prayerlessness is equal to arrogance. If you like equations, here it is. Prayerlessness equals arrogance. And arrogance will lead us to believe that we can find joy in the things of this world. And if you're going to find joy in Christ alone, which is really Paul's theme throughout the book of Philippians, then you must have an ever-growing, Christ-exalting prayer life if you're ever going to find joy in Christ alone. Well, do you need encouragement and growth in the area of prayer? I do. So whether you do or not, we're going to talk about Christ's exalting prayer this morning, because I need to be encouraged in this. And thankfully, Paul, as he writes this letter in his 
in prison in, 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 under house arrest in Rome. Uh, he writes this letter to this church in Philippi. And he begins it with this example, uh, example of Christ-exalting prayer. And it's one of the reasons that Paul could find joy in Christ alone. In his circumstances, he's in prison, and he's finding his joy in Christ alone. And one of those reasons is that he understands what it means to pray and exalt Christ in the midst of it. So may the Lord, my prayer is that the Lord be pleased to help us find our joy in Christ alone. And one of those ways is following Paul's example of this Christ-exalting prayer. So as we examine these verses... Um, over the next two weeks, verses 3 through 11, uh, I want us to consider five foundation principles, and we're going to go through three of them this morning, uh, that these verses teach us about Christ's exalting prayer. Why? So that we might pray in a way that exalts Christ and his purpose in his church. Well, this passage is about prayer. Uh, I've mentioned that. You ought to know that by now just because I said it. But why do I say that? Why do I say it's about prayer? Because you could read through here and say, this, I mean, it may not be about prayer. Well, here's why I say, look at verse 4 with me. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you. So here I'm praying, praying, and then look down at verse 9. And this I pray. And all the verses and all the words and phrases around these, these three mentions of the word prayer all point to prayer and some aspect of prayer. And it's obvious as we work down through there. And not only is it about prayer, but it's about Christ-exalting prayer. Why do I say that? Well, there's four mentions of Christ in these few verses, verses 6, verses 8, verses 10, and verses 11. Christ, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ. It's all over the place. So this prayer is about exalting Christ. It's not only about prayer, but about Christ-exalting prayer. So let's begin examining these verses. Let's begin in verses 3 and 4. Let me read those again for us. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Now, it's in these verses we're going to discover the first foundational principle of Christ's exalting prayer, and it's this. The commitment to prayer. The commitment to prayer. Paul was committed to praying for these people at the church at Philippi. He was committed to the prayers he, he, he writes of here are not just general prayers for the whole world. Lord, I pray that the people that are suffering will get better. And there's nothing wrong with that prayer, but that's not Paul's prayer here. And Lord, I pray for the people in this other church, like the church of Colossae. I'm praying for them. And that's not the prayers he's talking about here. He's praying specifically for these brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi, which he knew well. Remember, he had been there three times and spent time with them. He knew. He could picture them. He could see them. He had heard more about what was going on in their life, not only the times he had visited, but also remember that if he's in Rome now and Epaphroditus had brought help from the church of Philippi to Paul while he's in prison in Rome, and then he sends back this letter with Epaphroditus to go back. So he's got communication, at least through Epaphroditus, about what's going on as well. So he's praying specifically for these brothers and sisters in Christ. And his commitment to prayer was characterized by at least three things. We can see that in these verses. The first thing it was characterized by was faithfulness. His faithfulness to pray for them is seen in phrases like, if you look there, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with you in my every prayer for you all. Now, just reading that, you, you see faithfulness. Now, it doesn't say, 
I'm always praying for you, meaning praying without ceasing. We read that other places, right? Pray without ceasing. He's not talking about, he's just sitting around all the time and I'm always praying just for you people in Philippi. No, it's more the idea that every time he does remember them, he prays for them. And as he prays for them, there's certain things that are happening when he's praying. But he's praying for them. And and at least if, if you look there, it says, my every prayer. So at least it's more than one, right? My every prayer, it's insinuating there's many prayers that are going up for the church at Philippi, for these people that he loves so much. So there's a faithfulness. This is often, this is not just a few times. He's often praying for these people. Why? Because he was committed. He was faithful in prayer. And the second thing you see in his commitment to prayer was it was characterized by thankfulness. There again in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He chooses to be thankful instead of focusing on the problems. Now, was the church of Philippi perfect? No, just like every other church, it wasn't perfect. In fact, he'll have to address a couple of these things with the church of Philippi later on in the letter. There's the things they need to shore up a little bit. But he doesn't start there. Even in the midst of those things, he's thankful, warts and all. He's thankful as he goes to God in prayer for these people in the church of Philippi. Well, not only was Paul com- Paul's commitment to pray characterized by this faithfulness and thankfulness, it was also thoroughly characterized by joyfulness. Look at verse 4 with me. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Now, this attitude in, of joy, as I've mentioned before, is seen all throughout this letter. It's mentioned here. If you want to write this down, get ready. It's mentioned in 118, 125. It's mentioned in chapter 2, verse 2, verse 17, verse 18, verse 28, verse 29, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 10. Would you say joy might be a theme here? And he begins it right here with his joy in prayer. There's a joy in prayer. And this, this emotion, this, let me make sure we understand what joy is. Joy is not happiness, which is often related to circumstances. So as the circumstance changes, people's emotion, whether good or bad, changes with that circumstance or with the happenstances, all right? That's happiness. But this is speaking of joy. It's a a jubilance or a gladness not based on circumstances, but on the truth that God in his unchangeable nature has saved both Paul and the Philippians. That's joy. It's based on truth that never changes. When Paul prays for these people, he does so with gladness of heart, with joyfulness in what Christ has done in him and what he's done in the church at Philippi, and that can't change. So there's joy as he goes. He just has this characteristic of joy as he prays for them. So let me ask you this question as we consider here Paul's commitment to prayer, Paul's commitment to prayer that's, that's characterized by faithfulness and thankfulness and joyfulness. Are you committed to praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Not just for those people in another church or around the world, but are you pr- committed for praying for the people right here at Grace Bible Church? Because that's who Paul's praying for. He's praying for specific people in a specific church. Are, you, are your prayers for your fellow saints characterized by faithfulness? Now, let me clarify something if you weren't here last week. If you are in Christ, you are a saint. You are a saint. 
We say it again, you are a saint, and we can never get over that. It means holy ones. And because the Holy Spirit indwells us, we are called saints. It's not some special honor bestowed on just certain people. If you're in Christ here this morning, welcome, saints. And he, does, he, does our prayer life, is, are we faithful in praying for the saints? Are we consistently lifting them up in prayer, the people here at Grace? Are your prayers for your fellow saints characterized by thankfulness? Do you thank the Lord for people here at Grace, even those that you find it hard sometimes to be thankful for? Do you thank God for them? You do, and you will, if you really believe what Romans 8.28 says. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. That means the person in your life that you're having a hard time loving right now. It's the person in your life that you're having a hard time being thankful for. Can you be thankful for those people that knowing that God is using that person in your life to make you more like Jesus? Because it says, according to his purpose, if we went on in verse 29 and 30, according to his purpose is to make us more like Jesus. That's what it teaches. And we need people in our life sometimes that... uh, Ruffle our feathers, right? And guess what? You're sometimes the person ruffling the feathers of someone else. But can we be thankful for that? Well, if our mindset, like Paul, is, is correct, yes, we can be, Lord, thank you for that person. Thank you for all the people, each of the people in Grace Bible Church, for placing them in my life. And that's Paul's attitude here. Well, are your prayers for your fellow saints characterized by joyfulness? Your reason for joyful praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ should never change. Because it's not based on circumstances. It's based upon what Christ has done in his saving work in their life and in yours. Can you be joyful? Yes, we can be joyful because of him. So let me challenge you here this morning. The people here gathered together. Let me challenge you. Commit today to be committed to prayer for your brothers and sisters in Christ right here at Grace Bible Church. Right here. Be committed. Now, how do you do that? You know, I'm not, I don't have a fancy way, but this, you write it down. You write it down. Oh, that, I mean, that's not really praying from the heart. I mean, that's not really, this, if it was important to you, you just pray for them all the time. Okay. You don't have your special someone's birthday written down on the calendar? I know I do, because I might forget. I got six kids and a wife, right? I need, I need, I've got lots of people's birthday. I've got to do it because I, I, I love them so much that I'm willing to put it on my calendar so I won't forget, so it will be special. So to write it down doesn't mean it's not special. Actually, it means you do care. You do care that you want to you pray for them. So write it down. Get something. Write it down. I'm going to remind, remind myself every day to pray for certain people, the people of Grace Bible Church. And I have right there in my, um, my prayer journal, the front of my, I've got people I'm praying for, and right there every day, Grace Bible Church. It's not because I don't love you, and, I, and I, I should just know that to pray for you. I just want to make sure I don't forget. All right, so write it down. Now let's look at verses 5 and 6. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Now it's in these words we discover the, the second foundational principle about Christ's exalting prayer, the cause for prayer. There's a commitment for prayer, commitment to prayer, but there's also a cause for prayer. This is the reason that Paul is motivated to pray for these believers at Philippi. If you notice there, he says, always, I mean, verse 
5, in view of your participation. So he, he's connecting this. This is the reason that I pray. This is the cause. And, and here in, 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 in verses 5 and 6, we see at least two main causes for his prayer. The first cause is found in verse 5. It's the participation in the gospel, in view of a participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And this word participation is the word koinonia. So some of your translations will say fellowship. Okay, and that's a good translation, the word koinonia. But partnership is also a good translation because the word is not just this, when we get together, we had a little fellowship, we had, some, we had a meal together. Now that's part of fellowship, but it's way more than that. Now we get the word coin, like you might have some of those in your pocket. We don't carry much cash or coins anymore, do we? It's all plastic. But you've seen those things before, right? Coins. All right, and we get the word coin from the word koinonia because it's a sharing and participation in something. There's an exchange of life. There's, there's, you share in activities and privileges in this group or this association of people. It's much more than just eating together. It's actively participating in something, and here specifically, it's actively participating in the gospel. Paul says that one of the causes or reasons that he prays for them is because they actively participate in the ministry of promoting the gospel. So in what ways has Paul witnessed their participation in the gospel? Well, remember, he planted this church, right, in Acts 16. And he visited them at least two times, so he had seen their participation in the gospel. And as we study this, these verses, we see Paul mention at least four ways in which they participate in the ministry of promoting the gospel. And we'll see that as we work down through Philippians. Let me just mention a couple of them. There's a participation in the gospel through their conduct. Their life has been changed. There's a participation in the gospel through proclamation of the gospel as they verbally express it. He praises them for this. There's a participation in the gospel through suffering as they have suffered in the gospel with him. And there's a participation in the gospel through giving. Then and now. Now, what do I mean by that? If you read the, 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 the letter to the church at Corinth, he praises the churches of Macedonia for their heart to give. Guess where Philippi is? We saw this last week on a map. In Macedonia. So he's seen them participate in the giving to the church of Jerusalem, which was poor, and churches in Macedonia weren't rich. In fact, it was like someone on welfare giving to someone else on welfare. So he praises them for their proclamation or their participation in the gospel through their giving then and also now because what? He's responding to their gift to him as they send Epaphroditus to help him out. So there's this participation in the gospel through giving. And he solved this participation in the gospel through many ways in the church of Philippi. So it motivates him. It gives him a cause to want to pray for them. Now notice that phrase there in verse 5, from the first day until now. I keep going back to this, but I don't want you to forget this. So from the first day, when would that be? The, the words have meaning. Well, we mean Acts 16, right? When he comes into Philippi. And he begins to preach the gospel. And, and he sees the Lord change the lives of Lydia, the demon-possessed girl, and the jailer. All there in Acts 16. From the first day, from that first day I was there, first time I was with you. And he says, until now, there is a progress in their life. There's a progress and consistency in the participation of the gospel. So as he thinks about praying for them, one of the things that gives him cause or reason to pray is that their participation, their commitment to the proclamation, the promoting of the gospel. Well, we have reason to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because of their participation in the gospel from the first day until now. 
Think about how each person in this body participates in the gospel. Now, they may not participate like you participate, but they're participating if they're part of the body in some way. And that should give cause or reason or rise in our hearts to want to pray for them because they're in this together. We're in this together. It's not just a, we're not in a club. We're not in a social organization. We're in the church of Jesus Christ. We're in the body of Christ. We're brothers and sisters. We're part of a family. We're knitted together, and we're in this together. So as we think about what people are participating in as far as the gospel goes, we need to pray for them. Well, are you, let me ask another question. Are you participating in the gospel? Now, this, this will sound bad, but I'm going to go ahead and say it, and then I'll explain it, okay? If you want somebody to pray for you, participate in the gospel, because one of the reasons they'll pray for you is because you are participating in the gospel. They remember, oh, man, that brother or sister, they're serving, they're participating in the gospel. I need to pray for them. I'm not saying we won't pray for you if you're not participating in the gospel. We'll pray in a different way. But here, there's just, are you participating in the gospel? Are you actively giving sacrificially of your time, talent, and treasures to the ministry of the gospel? If not, then I just encourage you, get after it. Get in the game. We can all grow, obviously, in this area. That's the reason we need to pray for each other. I need to grow in that. I need to participate more fully in the gospel. And all of us do. So let's commit to pray for each other because of the participation in the gospel. Well, not only did their participation in the gospel give Paul a cause or a reason to pray for them, but notice the second cause for prayer in verse 6. For I'm confident this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will, be, will perfect it or be faithful until the day of Christ Jesus. The second cause for prayer is confidence in God's work. Confidence in God's work. Notice that word confident, or your, your translation may say be sure. It, it means to be persuaded, to be assured of something. There's no doubt Paul is saying, there's no doubt at all. Confident in who? It says he who began a good work in you. Who's he? Well, it's obvious. It's God. I'm thankful and I'm confident that God will do this. What about him? That he he who began a good work will be faithful to to, to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God began this work in them. He began this work in them when? When he made them new creations. So let's go back to Acts 16 again. You're like, would you get off Acts 16? I can't because it's a context of the letter. Lydia's life was changed, wasn't it? He began a good work in her. And what does it say in Acts 16 about Lydia? The Lord opened her heart. It's the most beautiful phrase that I can use to express what happens in salvation. It says the Lord opened her heart. They were made a new creation. God began this work in Lydia. He began this work in many of these other people that Paul's writing to. He opened their heart. Opened the heart of the demon-possessed or Opened the heart of the jailer. Opened the heart of the jailer's family. Opened the heart of many, many other people in Philippi. And notice the word perfect. That he will perfect it into the day of Christ Jesus. It means he will accomplish. He will compete, complete. He will fulfill. Now, when will he do this? When will he complete this work? Well, till the day of Christ Jesus. When the second coming happens, this work will be done. He will complete it in us. Things, things that we couldn't imagine will have happened in our life, and we won't even look back and go, when? I wish this would have happened then because we'll be so complete, we won't even think about the areas we were weak in before. 
We'll be so renewed and so made new. We'll be completed in him. This brings us hope in the midst of troubles and pain. It does. God began this work, and he will keep it going until he completes it. Now, I love this quote by John Flavel. Now, I ask anybody who's heard of John Flavel, I won't ask you to raise your hand because chances are most of us haven't because he's an old English Puritan. And for some reason, we don't think the Puritans had anything to say. They're, they're Puritans. They're, they're like prunes, right? Actually, Puritans were some of those passionate people for the gospel and the cause of the gospel in their life. The word Puritans become ugly because we misunderstood it. So I would encourage you to go read about the Puritans, and especially this guy named John Flavel. Look what he says. Did Christ finish his work for us? Did he? Did he finish his work for us? Is there something left undone? No, he did. Then there can be no doubt, but he will also finish his work in us. If he finished it for us, he will finish it in us. And that's what this is teaching. Paul prayed for these people because he knew that God was at work to finish his work in and through them. We all have reason to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ because of our confidence in God to finish his work in them and through them. Pray for them as God works in them. Or are you confident that he will begin, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to Christ, will be faithful to complete it, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus? Are you confident of that? No matter where you are in your walk, no matter how you feel, God is faithful. And I know some of you here this morning, I know that someone here, probably more than one, is in a difficult place. And it looks like the work's stalled. It looks like the work's not even moving forward. In fact, you're beginning to look at your life and you're thinking, man, it looks like things are kind of crumbling. Well, I want to encourage you that he who began that good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And God doesn't lie. He always keeps his promises. And we can trust in him that he, that he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So no matter where you are this morning, Know that. May that bring you hope and comfort and to help you focus and get through the difficulty, get through the disappointment in your life this morning. Well, we've now discovered the first two principles of Christ's exalting prayer, the commitment to prayer and the cause for prayer. Let's look, learn more as we discover this third principle in verses 7 through 8. So let's read that again. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both of my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Here we discover the third foundational principle of Christ's exalting prayer, the care in prayer. The care in prayer. He cared for these people at the church of Philippi deeply. Notice the words in verse 7. Feel this way about you all. Verse 7. I have you in my heart. Verse 8. I long for you all. Verse 8. With the affection of Christ Jesus. Feel, heart, long, affection. Those are words of endearment, of care, of love, of deep love for these people. Notice this phrase, for it's only right for me. So it's pointing back. It's, it's only right for me to feel this way, but based on the, they, all that they have done, all that they mean to Paul, the fact that God is perfecting them and will perfect them. It's only right for It's the only way he could respond to those truths that he's just expressed. It's only right for me to feel this way. And notice the word feel. It's, 
It's actually, the, uh, it's also translated in, in the um, New Testament as think. Think, feel and think? Yeah, because it's more than just a mere emotion that changes all the time. It's this word that means a positive attitude towards someone, to think well of someone. We could use that phrase because we use that more often. So you think well of someone. You think of them in honor, with good thoughts. So it's only right for me to think this way, to feel this way. Why? Well, he tells them, because I have you in my heart. He loves these people with his innermost being, with his heart. Well, why does he have them in his heart? Look at verse 7. It says, since both my imprisonment and in defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. What had happened is the grace of God had empowered and linked together Paul and these people at the church of Philippi. Right? It linked them together to stand firm and proclaim the gospel regardless. Because it says both in my imprisonment, so he, he's in, in prison here, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, God's grace prevented the Philippians from allowing his imprisonment to discourage them to move on in the gospel. They wouldn't let it happen. So he's thinking here, he says, it's God's grace that's done this. It's God's grace that's prevented this. It's God's grace that's helped us move on in the gospel. And because of that, that's endeared you in my heart. I look at your life, and, and you're just faithful. You're there, and you're committed, and you're committed, and you're there. And we're together in the gospel with this. It's endeared them to Paul. Now, Paul is not done expressing his care and deep love for these people as evidence in verse 8. Look what he says. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Notice, first of all, for God is my witness. What this does is it calls attention to Paul's seriousness. What he's saying is, I really mean what I'm saying. I really mean what I'm saying. I'm calling God as a witness. This is serious what I'm saying about you all. It's not about a bunch of fluff that a high school kid writes to his girlfriend. This is real. He's saying from the depths of who I am. And he impresses even more because of this word. He used affection. Now, I wish you could see this in the Greek. Because the word looks like, if you don't know Greek, the first time you ever read it, it almost looks like spaghetti. And it's fitting that it does. Why? Because you know what this word affection means? Inward parts. Your guts. That's what it means. So he, 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 the, 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 it, it's, it's your bowels it's also used for. All right? Am I getting a graphic enough? Spaghetti? All right? But I mean, the word does, it kind of looks like that. But it's the seat of emotions, or it's another word for Heart. He cares for them or loves them from the deepest part of his being. He further strengthens his expression of love with this last phrase, of Christ Jesus. It's not just the deepest love that a human can have for someone, but with the affection of Christ Jesus. He just, I love Paul. He just piles on, piles upon, piles upon, piles upon, adverbs, explanations of what he means. He just, well, I love you, and he moves on. He just keeps on piling on so they really understand in, in the depths of his love of Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Because Jesus lives in Paul, it is Jesus loving them through Paul. Jesus lives in Paul so he can love them with the affection of Christ Jesus. He, he loves them with his inward parts, with the heart of Christ. 
Paul, in his letter to the church of Ephesus, says something similar to husbands in Ephesians 5.25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He describes the love. And often, lady, I heard a lady say, I'm glad I'm not a guy because I don't have, have to love my, wife, my, my husband as Christ loved the church. I, gotta, I'm, I'll, I get it off easy. I'm going to love him like that. Well, this passage insinuates that we're to love with the love of Christ. All of us are to love with the love of Christ. Not just the husbands, ladies. Not just people who are married. Not just the adults, kids. All of us are to love with the affection, with the love of Christ. No one gets a pass. This kind of love compelled Paul to pray for these people. You see, again, he had planted this church. He had spent time with them. And this time caused his care and love to grow for them in such a degree that he could not keep praying for them. He loved them, and he loved them, and he loved them with the affection of Christ. Do you care or love your brothers and sisters in Christ with such depth that you cannot help but pray for them? I mean, you love them so much, I mean, you just can't help but pray. Well, you can. You can love them. You can pray for them in that way because you love them so much. First, you can because Jesus, if you're here this morning, and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You've repented from trusting yourself, and you've trusted in Christ alone. He lives in you. And because he lives in you, the second person of the Trinity, who is God, and God is love, lives in you. You can love brothers and sisters in Christ with the same kind of love. You can love them with the love of Christ because he lives in you. Secondly, our care, our love, can grow to this kind of depth as we spend time with each other. There's definitely, definitely something to this about spending time with people and you learn to love them more. My, my, my wife, I love my wife. And, and, and on August, 20, August 12, 1995, we got married. And man, did I love her that day. I loved her before that. I loved her that day. I'm like, man, how could the love get better? Well, now in 2014, which will be our 19th in August wedding anniversary, I love her more than I did then. And that's hard for me to imagine 18 and a half years ago that I I love her more now than I did then. Why? Because we spent time together. And my love has grown for you. So for her, let me ask you this question. How much time are you spending with the saints here at Grace outside of our short time? This is a short time here on Sunday morning. This is great. I love it. But how much time are you spending with people of this body outside of Sunday morning? Like in life groups, it's a great way to, to get to know people and spend time with them and, and, and learn to love them more. Grace University, meeting one-on-one or a, a small group for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. Serving together is a great way to get to know someone that you'll love them more. And there's more ways. But how much time are we spending outside of this short time on Sunday morning? As we love each other more deeply, we will, be, we will pray more earnestly and partake more and more in God's grace, causing us to join together in the ministry of the gospel. Well, this morning we've we've discovered three of the five principles here in Christ's exalting prayer. The commitment to prayer, the cause for prayer, and the care in prayer. Now next week, uh, we'll cover verses 9 through 11 and look at the content of prayer and the consequences of prayer. So I encourage you to come back. But how about this morning? How are we going to respond to Paul's example of Christ, Christ's exalting prayer. Will we commit to pray for each other? 
Will we examine the cause for prayer because of the participation in the gospel from the first day till now? Will we care in prayer? Will we be motivated because of our love for each other to pray for each other for the advancement of the gospel? That's what God's calling all of us to. And if you have to write it down, there's no shame in that. Write it down every day if you have to. So we'd be committed to things that exalt Christ. Ask us one question, I'll be done. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? I didn't ask you, do you know about Christ? I want to know if you know him. Do you have a love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Not know his facts, not to know the back of his baseball card. But do you know him? Well, the Bible says this, is that either you know yourself intimately and trust in yourself to make yourself right with God, or you know Christ, you love him. You turn from this, I'm not going to trust in myself anymore. I can't make myself right with God. I can't love him enough. I can't meet his standard. And you turn and you trust in what Christ has done on your behalf. He died in your place. He took the death that you deserve, the punishment you deserve for your sin upon himself. He died for that. He had no sin, but he became sin for you that you might become the righteous of God in him. He took your sin and gave you his righteousness. Have you done that this morning? Because if so, then you're in Christ. And we talked about this last week. Then you're in the only in that counts. You're in. And then you can exalt Christ through Christ's exalting prayer and be his son or daughter in him. I pray you do that this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for this example we see here of Christ's exalting prayer. And Lord, it's not just an example, but it's an exhortation. But Lord, we're so thankful that you don't just call us to things and give us no power to do them, but Lord, you have called us to Christ's exalting prayer. And you've given us the power the person of the Holy Spirit living in us to exalt Christ in prayer. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for this morning and pray that you're exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing, um, we need to...